Well, good morning again. I'd ask you to stand again. Let's pray. We'll read from God's Word, and then not till the end you'll have to stand again, I promise. But let's stand, let's pray. Father, we, we come to you because of your great love for us. Your Word tells us that while we were still sinners, you loved us, that you gave yourself for us. And it is because of your great love that you hold us fast. Meaning you'll never let us go. That there is not a single thing that can happen in this world that will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That our today is secure. Our tomorrow is secure. Our future, our eternity is absolutely secure because of Jesus Christ. And Father, we ask now that as we look at the hope and the purpose that you have for us as your children, that if there are any here, Lord, who need hope, they would see you. If there's any who need encouragement, they would see Jesus. We ask, Lord God, that you would make yourself known, that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened, that we would know the hope to which you've called us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me... Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that He was, has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. It's the word of the Lord. You may be seated. As we've been studying the book of Ephesians, Paul has showed us what is the eternal purpose of God in Christ Jesus, the plan that was from the foundation of the world, that He would unite all things in himself. That he was uniting Jews and Gentiles, those who were at enmity with one another, those who hated one another, who wanted each other to die, literally to die, um, were now unified because they have been brought near to Jesus Christ. They who were at enmity with God, at war with God, now have peace with God. It is in Christ Jesus, in Christ 
Jesus that all of this is possible. Today we'll see four things or four headings that will help us navigate the passage for today as we look at the mystery of the gospel revealed. The mystery of the gospel revealed. We'll see the meeting, the mystery, the ministry, and the manifestation. Paul, now for the first time, gives a formal introduction of himself. He opened the book by saying, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and ended it there. Now in chapter 3, he expounds on that. Um, And since uh, introduction didn't go with the rest of the M's, I used the word meeting. So we meet Paul. Paul says, for this reason, what reason? For all that he said beforehand, of all that God is doing to unite people in himself, for this reason, I, Paul, Again, the reason that the Gentiles are now heirs of the promises of God that were once exclusive to the Jews are now also heirs. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Well, actually, Paul was a prisoner of Nero. On the human level, he was Nero's prisoner. He was a prisoner of Rome. I've never been to prison. Maybe some of you have. I don't know. It doesn't really matter anymore. I've only actually ever visited one prison. Before I was a pastor, I was working in construction, and I was uh, particularly within a cell, cell phone industry, uh, building cell sites. And we were building a site, or working on a site, um, that was already established in Bedford, New York, at the women's prison. And we had, I had to go there in the mornings, and I had to check in. At the, the, at, the, at the main office, you get through the gate, and you go in there, and you got to check in. And it was just heartbreaking. I mean, it was horrible. I hated it. Because in there are mothers and fathers, grandmothers and grandparents. Despondent because their daughters, their granddaughters are in prison. Now, they did it to themselves or whatever. It doesn't matter. It was just a depressive place, and I had to go in there and sign myself in and, 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 and see just the hopelessness that was around. Prison is not a fun place, I'm sure. Now, the prison that Paul was in compared to the American prison system, it was a lot worse. Paul was completely dependent on people bringing him food, people providing for him. Rome wasn't spending money to make sure you were eating and taken well care of. That just wasn't in the cards. So Paul is in prison, and his situation is it's, it's, it's pretty rough. He's a prisoner of Nero, but he says, I'm actually a prisoner of Christ Jesus. See, Paul was so convinced, so absolutely convinced of God's sovereign rule over this world, over the authorities and the powers of this world that, well, let's bring it to to America. Who really rules America? Is it Joe Biden? 
Yeah, absolutely. He's our president. Is it those in Congress and the Senate? Yes, absolutely. But who is the power that is behind them moving and shaping all things for his own purpose? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was so convinced of God's sovereignty over the world that he knew that ultimately he was a prisoner of Jesus Christ, not of Nero. It was Christ, Jesus himself, who met Paul on the road to Damascus and told him, you are going to speak to the Gentiles. And when you go, you're going to speak before kings. God said, I'm going to make sure you speak before kings. And so Paul, believing in God's sovereign plan, said, God has commissioned me to go speak to Caesar, the the chief king in the world at the time. And the method of which God used to bring Paul to that place was to put him in prison. Now, it wouldn't be my way, but it was God's way. And Paul said, that's the best way. Paul knew that God was going to accomplish his purpose through this trial. Paul, though he knew God was in charge, I'm sure did not like the process. He didn't like being in a Roman prison. He didn't like being jailed, uh, literally chained to another soldier. Scripture tells us that. But Paul knew who his Savior was. Paul, Paul knew what it was to be content in every situation. Because his reliance was on God. His trust and his hope was in God. As in Sunday school this morning, he had a sure and steadfast anchor of Jesus Christ. That this, what I see and what I'm experiencing, it's real. We're not going to act like it's not happening. But behind this is a God who is holding me fast. And he has made a promise to me. And he is going to see me through to the end. Paul could have said, oh, I'm a prisoner of Nero. I give up. I'm done. This Jesus thing, it ain't working out. Because I'm a prisoner of Nero. But that's not the perspective he has. He has a perspective that I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Doesn't perspective make all the difference? Perspective makes all the difference. We're told what kind of perspective to have in Philippians 4.8. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. How often do we go into a situation and we have the negative blinders on? not able to see anything else. We see how bad it is, how hopeless it may be, without having the perspective to know that there is a God who is holding me fast behind this. It doesn't mean we ignore the situation. We don't act like there's, uh, you know, we, we, when there's no money in the bank, we don't act like we got a billion dollars. Right? When we're hurting and suffering and down and depressed and, and anxious and all that, we don't act like it's not real. It's real. But in our mind, we begin to think as we should. 
We begin to have the right perspective. And when we dwell on the goodness of God and the greatness of God and say, God, help me understand your purpose in this. God, help me to have your peace in this. Because what did Jesus promise? He promised peace. He says, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. When we begin to change our mind on the situation, when we begin to look at it from God's perspective. Let me give you an example. Suppose God was to take one of your loved ones. One of your loved ones passed away. And however it is, some it's uh, you know, a horrible situation, some it's natural causes, whatever it be. We have a choice to look at that, especially if that person was a believer, to say, God took my loved one, which would be true, actually, because God decides the day of your birth, and God has decided the day of your death. And God holds every day in between those two are in His hand. But I could choose to look at the death of my loved one and say, God did this. And that's a negative spin on it. Or I could choose to say that for the death of my loved one, God has kept His promise. See all the difference? God has promised to bring me home one day. God has promised me that I will be with Him forever. And that day has come. God has kept His promise. What a difference that makes. That's why the Scripture says that we don't grieve as people without hope. We have hope. We have hope. Abundant hope is ours in Christ Jesus. Loved ones, do you have hope today? Do you have hope for your situation or do you just feel overwhelmed that it's, I'm not going to get past it? There's just no way that an omnipotent, omniscient, all-loving God is in any way able to help me. Well, now that you put it that way, well, that's the way to put it, because that's the perspective to have. God is able to rescue me, and God will rescue me. may not be in the way that I want Him to, but He is going to do it. Paul could look at his situation being a prisoner of Rome and say, no, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Perspective makes all the difference. And Paul had the right perspective about his imprisonment and his calling. Look at what he says. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles... Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me. You know what? Paul really was in prison for the Gentiles. If you go into the book of Acts chapter 22, where they thought he brought Greeks into the temple area, and a riot was ensuing, and he's rescued, and he was allowed to speak to the crowd, and he begins to tell the Jews the history of the Jewish people, essentially, and he says how Jesus met him on the road to Damascus, and how Jesus told them that I'm going to send you to the Gentiles, and it says this in Acts 22, verses 21 and 22, he says, and he said to me, that is, Jesus said to me, go for I will send you far away up to the Gentiles. And as soon as he said that, talk about this hostility that Paul was saying, this is what the crowd of Jews said. 
up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. He was rescued by the Roman centurion, and he was put in prison because of this. Paul says, I was put in prison for Jesus Christ. Paul viewed his calling as God as a stewardship of God's grace. Again, the right perspective. A stewardship of God's grace. Listen to again what he says. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardships of God's grace that was given to me for you. Stewardship. Oikonomia. A plan which involves a set of arrangements. And here, referring in the New Testament, the God's plan for bringing salvation to mankind within the course of history. You know, Paul really knew that his calling from God was not minor. It was not insignificant. He understood that what God was doing in Christ Jesus was shaping history itself. Was shaping history itself. Do we view that what God has called us to? Do we view that our lives uh, are actually a stewardship from God? Right? That's kind of convicting, isn't it? Because I just go about my day half the time, and I'm doing what I'm doing, not thinking about that, that this is a stewardship for God. That what God has allowed in my life and what God has blessed me with, they belong to the Lord, and I'm to use them for God. Paul knew that he is entrusted to a ministry of grace to non-Jewish people. And isn't it just like the Lord? Because prior to Paul's meeting of Jesus, he was setting out to imprison and kill, and kill Gentiles. And the God says, you know what? I'm going to make you the chief guy to go to those who you formerly hated. God so transformed Paul that he loved the Gentile people. He loved the Jewish people too, don't get me wrong. But he, he knew that God had entrusted to him a ministry of grace to non-Jewish people. And he was going to be completely consumed with his calling of bringing the Gospels to the Gentiles. Because Paul had already told us, and Paul knew because God made it known to him, that the Gentiles now have the same grace as the Jews. Paul says this is the mystery of Christ. Mystery. Important word in the book of Ephesians. In our text for today, it's found three times. Paul says, if you heard of my stewardship, in verses 3 and 4, it says, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Mystery, mysterion. Means the content of that which has not been known before, but which has been revealed to an in group or restricted constituency. I love that. You know who can understand the Bible? You know who can understand what it really means? Only believers. You can have academics that can tell you all kinds of things about Scripture and put things together, and they may be right in their assessment of doctrine but they have no understanding of what it means. It's not life-changing to them whatsoever. But God's true children, 
can understand this word on a level that is beyond academic. Martin Lloyd-Jones, if you remember, tells us this. The word mystery in the New Testament does not mean something that is incomprehensible to the human mind, but is rather something that is undiscoverable by the unaided human mind. Why can Christians, believers, understand God's Word? Because the Holy Spirit illumines it to us. Paul had already alluded to or written briefly about the mystery in chapter 1, verses 8 to 10. You can go back and look at that yourself later. But now he was going to reveal to them what God has revealed to him by way of revelation. It's an important word, actually. Revelation, apocalypsis, from which we get our word apocalypse, which means unveiling. Cause to be fully known. To make fully known. So the question to be, when did Paul get this revelation of God bringing in the Gentiles under the same covenant, uh, uh, being heirs of the same promise? Was it on his road to Damascus? Was it while he was in the desert studying for three years, as we read in Galatians? Was it when he was caught up into the third heaven? Fact is, we don't know. What we do know is this, and please pay attention. Revelation, as Paul describes it here, no longer happens. No longer happens. The revelation, the revealing of mysteries was something that was given to the apostles. It was for the apostolic age only. So when you see people on TV or on YouTube or whatever telling you they have a revelation from God, do not believe them. They are lying to you. There are no more revelations from God. What God has said for now is full and complete in Him. If there's going to be revelation, it's going to be in heaven. If there's going to be. God does not speak through divine revelation anymore. It was strictly for the apostolic age, for the apostles. That's what Paul means when he says this in Ephesians 3, 5, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Revelation is no longer the process of which God uses to make his plan known. It was given to the apostles for the express purpose that they would write down the revelation, it would be recorded in Holy Scripture and given to the church from that point on. So how do, how do we come to know the Scriptures? How does God make Himself known to us? Aren't you just playing a game of semantics, Pastor? Does it really matter if I use revelation? Actually, it does matter. Because the process of which God allows you and I to understand His Word is what is the process called illumination. He makes it known to us. He opens up our eyes. Remember what Paul prayed earlier, that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, that you would know the mystery of God. You would know what God says in His Word. It's through illumination. And you know how you get illuminated? You have to open up this book 
You have to study this book. If you don't do your work, God's not going to do His part. Right? He's not obligated to. We are the ones who are the beneficiaries of the promises of God in Christ Jesus. As in Sunday school this morning, why would I not want to know it? Why would I say, that's oh, not worth it to me? Yeah, you know what, I'm just going to, it's kind of a side gig for me, you know. I kind of uh, show up to church when I want to, and I, you know, uh, does, you know, today, uh, you know, this Sunday I just feel a little tired, so I'm just going to stay home, and, I, and maybe I'll watch it online. And I'm not trying to beat anybody up by that. Actually, I am. So I, I, let, me, let me not tell you. Just let me tell you the truth. And I don't mean it in a way to, I mean it to provoke you to good works. The Holy Spirit, which God has given us, gives us the ability to know and understand the mind of Christ, Scripture says. The mind of Christ is right here, it's in the Scriptures. Do you study God's Word? Do you just take what I say and say, well, the pastor said it, so it must be? That's the very wrong approach to take. Be a student of God's Word. I wish for your sake, for your sake, that Wednesday night Bible study was fuller, that men's Bible study was fuller. It's for your sake, not to have numbers and say, oh, look what's going on. For your spiritual sake, for the sake of the church as a whole, Paul says this is mystery, is that the Gentiles are now fellow heirs, members and partakers of Christ Jesus. Look what it says in verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the Gospels. Paul had already told them, these Ephesians believers, these Ephesians Gentiles, but they were already once under the fivefold alienation. They were Christless, stateless, friendless, hopeless, and godless. But now in Christ Jesus, they've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Right? Verse 13 of chapter 2. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Again, the emphasis is on what? The fact that it is in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. Look what he says in verse 6 again. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the same promise. In Christ Jesus through the gospel. In Christ Jesus through the gospel. Jesus is the gospel. Jesus is the central person of human history. The reason that the world was even created was for Jesus Christ. John tells us that in his epistle. To believe that Jesus Christ came into flesh. Remember when we studied 1 John? The central figure of human history is Jesus Christ. You would do yourself a great benefit to study your scriptures and to look at the news and to look at history and say, what is the purpose of this? The purpose is to be found in Christ Jesus. That God is going to redeem all things in Himself. 
you'd be wise, as we strive here to do, to study scriptures through the lens of Jesus Christ. The purpose of history is Jesus Christ. The Bible is a story. In the Old Testament, of things happening, of a, of a fall in a garden, to a promise to God, to the destruction of the world and Noah, to the promise to Abraham, to the judges and to David and to the prophets and all that, all of those things point and move us further in history towards a moment in history in which angels appeared and said uh, that God has come in the flesh and he announces peace. And Jesus lived in this world for 30 years, 33 years, died on a cross, rose again. And now the great, next great event of human history is yet to happen. It might be that America will go to war. Oh, we got to, it may happen. The most important event on history's calendar is the return of Jesus Christ. And when he returns, History ends. And he brings his children, Jew and Gentiles, those who were far off, those who were near. He will gather to himself, the scripture says, by his holy angels, and he will translate us into his kingdom, of which there will be no end. Jesus Christ is the central figure of human history. Do not forget that. He has a purpose and a plan. And you're part of it. If you're his child and he told you in his word that he will promise to bring you to himself one day. And so therefore I can look at my situation as bleak as it may be, as hopeless it may seem from the human eye and say, you know what? This is not going to consume me because God made a promise to me and and God of which it is what? Impossible for God to lie said, I'm going to bring you through. The, 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 the disciples in the boat, when Jesus says, let's get in the boat, let's go across the side, Jesus falls asleep in the back, and a storm goes up, horrible storm. And the disciples are freaking out. Jesus is out like a light, dead to the world, in sleep. The disciples are freaking out. Jesus, don't you care? What the, and when Jesus, well, oh, you guys, I'm so sorry. You know, let me fix this for you. You're right. I shouldn't have let you be. He said, why don't you have faith? He didn't say, you guys are right. Look at this horrible storm. Why don't you have faith? In other words, he's saying, I told you. We're going to the other side. If I said we're going to the other side, guess where you're going to go? Guess where you're going to make it? To the other side. Loved ones, you have to believe this. I have to believe this. We're going to make it to the other side. God is not going to abandon us halfway through. If anybody abandons, it's us abandoning God because we see the trials and the tribulations and the hardships of life and the persecution that comes from in Christ. And we're the ones that say, you know what? I'm out of here. And we do that to our own detriment. But Christ will hold you fast. Because my Savior loves me so, He will hold me fast. Thanks be to God for that, that He holds us fast. Amen and amen. Paul, uh, Paul says 
that this truth of Jesus being the central figure of human history, of drawing Jews and Gentiles, all people to himself, God drawing all people to himself in Christ Jesus, he says, this was the the ministry of which I was given. The ministry of which he was given. Look what he says in verse 7. Of this gospel, the good news that God in Christ Jesus is reconciling people to himself. He says, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. The word minister, by the way, is diakonos, from which we get our word deacon. It means a servant. Paul was fully committed to the ministry of God's grace. But he also realized that it can only be done in the power of Jesus Christ. It can only be done in the power of Jesus Christ. That's why he says it was given to him by the working. And that word is energia, from which we get our word energy. Of course, God's energy is never ending. He always has power. He is power itself. He says, by the working of his energy, of his power, his dunamis, in which we got our word dynamite. What does the prophet Zechariah tell us in Zechariah 4, 6? When things look bleak, he says this, Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord of Zerubbabel. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. It's by the power of God, not our own strength. He says, make it clear, Zerubbabel. It's not your strength. It's not yours. It's mine. It's mine. And so take this, loved ones, and you can read it this way. Then he, Jesus, said to Eric, This is the word of the Lord to Eric. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. You take that and put your name there. What are you facing? What seems to be overwhelming? What's the diagnosis? What's happening? Are you looking at the world and saying, oh my gosh, it's going to hell in a handbasket? It is, because Scripture says it's going to. But God is in control, and God is watching over you. And you know, pardon Mike, you know who's not going to go to hell in a handbasket? God's blood-bought children will not go. Um, pardon me if you got offended by the expression, sorry, you know what I mean. God is holding you. But because it's by God's strength, it doesn't mean we just sit back and do nothing. We need to get up each and every day in God's strength, in God's power, in the strength and the wisdom that He gives, that He empowers us to do His will. I can't just sit back and say, well, let God and let, you know, let go and let God. What a stupid statement to say. I mean, really? Let go and let God. But it sounds so good. No. Let go and let God. Yes, in other words... Don't do it in my strength. i got to go out and do something. Goliath would have never been defeated if David didn't stand up and go. But how did David go? He says, I don't come to you with sword and shield and all that. I come to you in the name of the Lord. That's how I'm coming to you. And that's what brought David to victory. 
The power that was given to Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, Paul, or you and I, is the same exact power throughout all of Scripture. It's resurrection power. It's the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. That's what he says. Verses nine, he tells them that earlier, he says in verses 19 and 20 of chapter 1, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Paul knew that he was absolutely unable in his own strength to accomplish what God has called him to do. And the same is true for us. We are unable in our own strength. I may get a few steps down the road, but I'm going to burn out. It's going to become hopeless to me. It's going to become unattainable to me because it's in my own strength and not the strength of the Lord. God has empowered you and I through His Spirit, through resurrection power, that we can be obedient, that we can be godly, and that we can evangelize. I think that's something that is lacking, is evangelism. See, Paul recognized who he was and what God had done for him and the ministry that God had given to him. Look at what he says in verses 8. To me, though I am the very least of all saints. Now, Paul's not saying, you know, you know hey guys, I'm, I'm, you know, it's no big deal. I'm just Paul. I'm the least of the saints. Paul really was the least of the saints. He was the last apostle, he was the last apostle to be picked. Just in in order, he was the least. Yet God used him the most because God takes that which is last and makes it first, right? But he also understood his past. He says, I don't deserve this. But by God's grace, I am what I am. Though I'm the least of all the apostles, it's also the least because he didn't walk with Jesus for three years. He didn't watch Jesus physically perform all that Peter, James, and John, and all of them saw. Though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Who created all things? God. The scripture reminds us over and over again. Whenever you're in doubt about what's happening, if you're in Christ, remember who created the world. Jesus Christ created the world. How did he create it? He spoke and it happened. He says, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Don't even bother trying to say that Greek word. It means pertaining to being impossible to understand on the basis of careful examination or investigation. What did I tell you before? Scholars can take God's word and they look at it and examine it and see, but if they don't have the Spirit of God in them or the power of God working in them, they're never going to understand what this book means. It's just Shakespeare to them. There are college courses on biblical literature by people who hate God. But when you have somebody who loves God, knows God, has the Spirit of God and the power of God, when they teach the Scriptures, when they open up the Scriptures, it's a whole different ballgame, is it not? He says, unsearchable riches. It's not unsearchable as we think, right? It reminds me of what Paul, in the great doxology of Romans 11, says this, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom of God. 
and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been His counselor? As I always say, I'm His counselor. I always tell God what He should do. I need to stop doing that. Or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever and ever. So when Paul says it's unsearchable, it's not saying that it's unsearchable or unknowable. Or when he says hidden in God, it's not hidden like we think hidden. Because God in the Old Testament made clear that the Jews are to be a light unto the Gentiles. Isaiah 42, 6. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations or Gentiles. So it wasn't that it was unknown. It was, there was inklings of it in Scripture. It was really God's plan from the foundation of the world. Chapter chapter 1, verse 4. It was a plan according to the purpose of God. Chapter 1, verse 9. Paul says this this plan of God was now made manifest to the world through the church. He was given this grace, this administration, but now it is through the church. Look what it says in verse 10. So that through the church... The manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. What does he mean by church? What is the church? Well, the church is two things. It's invisible and it's visible. What do I mean by the church invisible? The church invisible is all of God's saints from eternity past all the way to the future. It's the church invisible. We don't see it necessarily. We don't see it because it's invisible. But there's also the church visible. That's you and I right here, right now. The church is not 31 Passaic Ave in Hasbrook Heights. That's not the church. That's where the church meets. But we are the church, the body of Christ. But he says that that through the church... The manifold wisdom of God would be known to the rulers and authorities. Who are these rulers and authorities that he keeps talking about? In the heavenly realms, who are they? Well, I like what Ian Hamilton says. He says, in and by Christ's church, Satan and his kingdom of darkness are to be brought face to face with the transforming power of the gospel. The church is to showcase to this world and to the unseen world of spiritual darkness the power of the gospel of grace of God in Christ. This is what the cross was all about. This was God's plan from the beginning and has been realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. As Paul says in verse 11, this was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is through, not the pastor, not the elders, alone. Let me add the word alone to that. That evangelism happens. The scriptures are clear that it is the people of God who assemble together are to be the ones who are to be the evangelists. To go out and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you have opportunity, when God presents an opportunity, do not shy back from sharing the gospel. 
Some are called to go out and be the Billy Grahams of the world. Most of us probably are not have that calling. But we are called, all of us, individually, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not something we keep secret for ourselves. It's, we don't want to be the one who has this incredible, wonderful treasure and go and bury it in hopes that there's some interest on it. What happened to the guy who buried his gift? Jesus said, I don't know you. Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. I'm trying to... The people of God should be so excited about God that they can't help but share what God has done. And what does the gospel consist of? I think the church has a really bad understanding of the gospel. Well, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. That's true. How do, you get to the, how do you get to God's love and wonderful plan? You tell them that you are separated from God by your sins. There has to be a call of repentance. There has to be a call of faith. And there has to be a call of steadfastness, of discipleship, which will be the next step, which is the church has got to do better also. The loved ones, I'm not trying to beat you up. But you are the primary ones of which God uses to build this church for your sharing of the gospel with your friends and your loved ones and your family. If you want to discuss that later, we can discuss it later. But I see it it's very clear. Through the manifold wisdom of the church, God makes this known. He also says this, that it is in Jesus that we have confidence and access to the Father. Look what it says in verse 12. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. You know, I can do all things in Christ because of the resurrection power. But I also need to do all things in Christ because I can come to my Father in prayer. If you don't have a prayer life, you're not talking to God, spending time with God. You have boldness and you have access with confidence to approach God. Just stop and think about that for a second. God, God, who lives in unapproachable light, says to his children, You have access. Matter of fact, you don't just have access. All, you know, I, I can potentially set up a meeting, potentially, right? And in some ways, all of us have access to the President of the United States. Somehow we can, right? It's a possibility, right? You know what? With God, the creator of the universe, who holds all things together by his own power, he says, you have access to me. I've made it. You have boldness to come to me. Come to me. You have boldness and confidence to the Father through the Spirit. As the book of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 10, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, we come boldly to God's throne. And I can come boldly to God's throne even when I know I've messed it up, even when I'm fearful, when I'm anxious, when I'm depressed, whatever it be, I can come to God's throne and I can say, God, this is what's going on. God will say, I know. 
And you know what? I'm still holding you in my hand. Because God has it all in control. Paul says, And so I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Paul says, You know what? I know I'm in prison, and I know it's for you. But don't get sidetracked by that. Don't lose heart over what God is doing. And loved ones, don't lose heart over what may be happening in your life or what is happening in our nation or how evil seems to be winning because it seems to be winning. But we have the book that tells us it doesn't win. It can't win. It's impossible. Don't lose heart. Victory, though it seems far off or even impossible. Remember that God is the one who takes what seems impossible and makes it possible. You have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And God will use you. Be steadfast in faith, as obedient as you can be in life. And you will show the world through you, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God around you, uh, to, uh, the manifold wisdom of God to those around you. So when you are suffering, when things are sideways in your life, and people see you say, what is it? What hope do you have? Why are you? How come you're not? You say, because I have an anchor for my soul. The Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, this really stinks. I know it does. And no, I don't like it. No, I don't like chemo. No, I don't like whatever you put on it, whatever's going on. I don't like it. But God and His sovereignty has allowed it for some reason. And He has promised me, we're in a boat, and we're getting to the other side, and it's not going to change. And therefore, I can endure in His own strength. God has a plan from the foundation of the world that cannot fail. Cannot fail. It is impossible for God to fail. So if you're feeling overwhelmed, stand firm in His strength and do not lose heart, for the battle is the Lord's, not yours. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your truth. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the hope that is ours in Christ Jesus. Thank You, Lord God, that in Your incredible wisdom, in your eternal plan that you have chosen to use us to make known the mysteries of Christ. Lord, help us to be faithful, bold servants for you, to stand firm in the resurrection power through the Spirit, that we would access you through prayer, that we would bring hope to a world that is hopeless. Help us in this, Lord God. Help us to make the most of the time for the days are evil. We ask it in Jesus' name.